Good morning, everyone, and Omnia Paratus listeners. Today, we are joined by our friend Heather, and we're going to start talking about adult life and what that all means, and honestly, just what this real in-between space looks like from that time that you leave college to when you find your passion in life and start doing the things that you're truly excited for and building the life that your five-year-old self was always dreaming of. (laughs) I know Heather from our podcasting cohort class. She has a podcast called In Between, which I love listening to. Similarly, Heather also loves Brene Brown and Gilmore Girls. We definitely had a lot to start chatting about, and we're excited to have you. Thank you. Yay, I'm so excited to be here. I mean, anyone who loves Brene Brown and Gilmore Girls are my kind of people, so... (laughs) So to get started, Heather, do you want to just give like a summary, if you will, of like college major to what got you to Australia? Because there's a, there's a bit in between that, I'm assuming. Oh, yes. So when I went to college, it's really funny because I think when I went to school, I wanted to, I always knew I wanted to do theater. So I was, I grew up doing like performing and theater all the way through high school. And I got to college with the intent that I was going to be a theater major. And then I remember talking to my parents and they, you know, were saying you should do something sensible communications or, you know, like a degree that you can do a little bit more with outside of college. Although I would actually argue that communications is probably a pretty generic major as well. And I'm not really sure what I would have done with that. And I think it's changed a lot as well. Like, so I was in college like quite a few years ago and I think the majors have probably changed a bit, which is good. But I remember sitting there and I just decided, you know what? I love theater. I'm going to major in theater. So that's what I did. And uh, I did love it. And I had like kind of grand aspirations of being an actress for a while, but I just don't think I ever really had it in me to sort of really pursue it. Uh, So when I graduated from college, I moved back to Minnesota, which is where I'm from. And I went to school. I went to college in Missouri, in southern Missouri. So kind of random, but that's where I went. And when I got back home, I was like, great, now what do I do with my college degree in theater? So I got a job working at a health insurance company, as you do once you've graduated from college with a very creative degree. (laughs) So that wasn't very much fun, though. It was pretty awful, but I think I felt like I needed to pay the bills and be a responsible adult, which is like what you feel like when you graduate from college. And, you know, what kind of it was a similar that dilemma of like, well, what do I do with my theater degree? And so um, fortunately, though, I had a great opportunity to go back to the high school that I went to and direct their high school theater production. And I loved it so much that I ended up doing it for five years in a row. And I did like plays and musicals and just amazing productions and worked with amazing high school students. So I don't feel like my degree was like totally (laughs) wasted at that point. And it was it was a lot of fun. It was still probably to this day one of the best experiences that I've ever had. And along the way, I sort of changed career paths a bit. You know, I had the theater degree and I left the health insurance job and I had worked at a couple of other jobs here and there. And I'd actually worked at a children's theater company as well, but just like on the admin side and then as an understudy as well. So I did get to do a little bit more performing after college. And I decided that I needed to have a career that I loved and 
I loved being creative and I'd always been like a bit of a, you know, child artist and drawing and loving creating. And so I had a friend in college who was really into graphic design and that was really inspiring to me. So then I started pursuing graphic design and I bought myself a laptop and a copy of Adobe Creative Suite and I started teaching myself how to design. And then I decided, well, I guess, you know, if I want to become a designer, what do you do? You go to school to become a designer, which I would say now probably I would say you don't have to go to school for everything that you want to be. But I think that was still the mentality. It maybe still is to some degree. But at any rate, I went back to um, school for graphic design, a two year technical degree and graduated from that program and got my first design job as a graphic designer an in-house designer at a local university in the Twin Cities. And I did that for a number of years. And then I pivoted into user experience design and digital product design and all of those fun things. And then it was that career pivot that actually opened the door for me to get a job here in Australia. So uh, it works out really well. I don't think I would have gotten a job here if I would have just stayed in graphic design because the world was really shifting into digital design. And so that was where I wanted to be. I worked for a number of years in UX in Minneapolis and I always it was always a dream of mine to move to Australia so I was able to find a company here in Brisbane or in Brisbane Australia in Queensland here where I am currently and they sponsored my visa to come over and be a designer for them so it was a pretty amazing opportunity but I definitely think Yeah, all of that experience and kind of taking the chance on different careers is what really opened the door for me to get here. And yeah, this is where I am now, which is pretty exciting. So yeah, a lot more probably to fill in the blanks, but in a (laughs) nutshell, that's that's how I got here. My God, there's so much to unpack. (laughs) My first question is, what was your favorite? Well, I'm particularly have an affinity for musicals. So what was your favorite musical you got to produce? Oh my gosh. Um, Well, we did High School Musical and that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty exciting. And that was right at the height of the High School Musical craze as well. And actually I got to direct my sister in that. So she played Sharpay, which was really fun. Yeah. Um, But we did Beauty and the Beast and Singing in the Rain, which are also two of my favorite shows. So it's hard for me to pick between those three, but they were all really like epic in their own ways. But Singing in the Rain, we actually really did make it rain on the stage and we had puddles and stuff. And the the actors actually learned how to like tap dance. And if you've seen the musical, like they did all the iconic scenes and like dances from the show. It was like, it was pretty cool. Wow. Must be nice to have a theater budget. I don't. Well, we didn't actually. We didn't. Like, that's the funny thing. Like, it's a really um, small private school. And we actually had, we didn't have a proper theater. We just used the gym and all our productions were on the stage, which was really small. And there was virtually no backstage space and no fly space or anything. And our janitor, our custodian was the one who built all of our sets. And it was myself and my, one of my former teachers who was like the producer, he and I worked out how to do all this stuff, like all these effects. And then we had like a few people who volunteered to come in and do like lighting and sound and everything like yeah so like we actually we so that's why I say it's pretty impressive actually what we were able to do with such a small budget and basically no theater space wow oh my god I'm I'm completely in awe right now yeah it was a lot of fun Angela was a tech yeah. person for her high school oh yeah theater, so she knows all that yeah stuff. yeah you definitely would know it's it's a lot of work to pull those shows off 
as a tech person. Yeah. It is. And like we had all of that, not necessarily, I think we rented it all. So it wasn't necessarily ours, but we just had it all brought in. And even that was like this huge production, just trying to learn how to use it all and making sure we got the right sets. Like I can't imagine like <laughs> building those. And did you guys have to paint yeah, them? Yeah, we built as well? them, painted them. We'd rent like sound equipment and lights and stuff. And then like with Tech Week, you know, we'd bring in all of the equipment. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I said that I was working with a former teacher of mine who is sort of the producer and oversaw all of that. Like, fortunately, he was able to help with that part of it because he was much more technically minded than I was. Mm-hmm. But he gave me totally free reign. Like, I think of all of the experiences I've had in my life, I look back on that one as being the time where I actually felt like I had the most creative control over anything that I was really working on. Like, he just, he was awesome. He was so great to work with. We collaborated really well. I bounced ideas off him. He just, let me do like he let me carry out my vision for the productions and then he supported me in all the right areas so it was really Mm -hmm. it was really cool and then the students would volunteer and a lot of them had been doing tech crew for years you know their whole high school career so they generally knew how to do the lights and the sound and they'd come in and alumni would come back and help us like we'd have like a super Saturday where we'd bring in all the equipment that we rented and put it all up and We'd start tech rehearsals the following Sunday and then performances the following week. And yeah, it was was pretty cool. Oh my gosh. I have sort of a weird follow-up question, but Jay and I are in the portion of our lives where we're past like our first and second job and we're potentially like looking into like new career paths and you coming from a place where like you had the creative control and it was exciting and happy do you remember what the day was like when you decided I need to try to find something new Mm, to do yeah and I feel like to be honest I've probably had that moment a few times (laughs) in the last couple of years I think like if you're if you're referring to even just the transition from because I mean the directing that was all like a side job I wasn't even doing that full-time like I would work a full-time job and then I would go and I would direct I would do the rehearsals and the production like in the evenings after work so that was like a side thing yeah I don't know to this day yeah I don't know how I'm to this day I'm like I don't think I could do that anymore but yeah so and that was in my yeah that was like that was in my 20s when I was doing all of that so I was working day jobs that weren't really in my field I guess you know they were just sort of to pay the bills and to get by and so I think that that moment that you're talking about like I've always just had a strong sense of what it is that I should be doing and you know don't want to be doing I guess like I if I'm not happy in one of my jobs if I'm not feeling fulfilled I'll know like it just won't sit right with me and so I do remember one day kind of just sitting at this job I was working I think it was I was working at a theater at the children's theater but I was working like as a salesperson basically like booking shows and so I was like kind of in my field if you would consider that to be theater at the time but not really fully and I was directing on the side but I think I just realized like well what am I actually going to do? What do I want for my life? And is this really bringing me kind of fulfillment that I want for my day-to-day job? And is it really what I want to be doing? And you, you just kind of have that moment where you're just sitting and assessing what you want for your life. And, and like I said, I think you have that moment. I've had that moment many, many times throughout the course of, you know, from post-college graduation until now. Like I probably had that moment last week, you know, like I just, and I realized it's actually a good idea to keep checking in with yourself and thinking about, am I still on the path that I want to be on? And 
And if I'm not, then what can I be doing differently or should I do something differently? And do I need to pivot? And that's actually okay. And because I think we're we're kind of taught to believe that we need to pick this career and you kids, you ask kids when they're little, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you've got no idea. And then you grow up and you still ask the question, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? And you just learn more about yourself and about what you like to do and what brings you joy. And I think the more that you learn about yourself, then the more informed choices you can make for what you want to do with your career. And if that means going down a completely different path than the one that you are on, then I also think that that's okay. And we should have the grace for ourselves to be able to do that, even if it's different from your college degree and, you know, the the thing that you studied, you know, it's not like it ever totally goes to waste, I think, in that sense. But yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. But. No, it, it definitely does. And I think, I don't know, I guess my follow-up question to that would be, what kind of conversations did you have with yourself mm. to try to figure out what your passion was? Because I know at least... I have zero Mm. clue what I want to do. Like I have a lot of things that I think would be interesting and fun and would potentially like have like a great impact on other people. But as as Jay, as Jay laughs at me. um, I'm so glad we're having a therapy session for you. Oh yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm very interested in a lot of nonprofit work and I'm considering getting like my master's in nonprofit management. But at the same time, like I always think about, it's like, this is another Mm. degree that I'm investing in. This is another year of my life that I'm potentially like, do I quit my job and go to school? Do I take two years and get this degree and still work at the same time? And then what if at the end of that two years, I no longer feel the same passion? Like that that terrifies me, Jay. I feel like there's definitely, Heather, as your podcast about the in-betweens, and I feel like there's so many, because there's in-between the decision of knowing you mm-hmm. want something and that you, you have that feeling of like, I'm not where I want to be. And then there's the other thing of feeling, being able to tell yourself you're more likely to succeed or fail, or at least that's what I would need to tell myself to make a transition like that. Like, what do you tell yourself in that feeling of why? Like, I'm a big sunk cost person. Like, when I've already invested time, effort, I'm already someplace, I can get complacent mm-hmm. very easily. So what either did you, what value did you have or what belief did you have in yourself that you knew going forward was going to be better than just holding on to the good mm-hmm. you had? Well, those are really good questions. <laughs> and I don't know if you're going to like this answer, but I think what I've experienced is that there's honestly like no way to really know with 100% certainty that it's all going to turn out the way that you think or want. And I mean, because I've taken a lot of risks and leaps that I wasn't really sure were going to pay off. And I'm still doing that now. And like even just, you know, going back to school for graphic design or, you know, deciding to transition into UX career and coming to Australia, a lot of those were risks. I remember when I transitioned into user experience thinking, you know, I'm, I was essentially giving up a full-time paid job. So I took a took an apprenticeship to learn how to do user experience design and it was paid, but not very much. And so I was walking away from a full-time paid position in order to do that. And when I started that, I was thinking, okay, I don't actually know if I'm going to enjoy this or if it's going to work out for me or if I'm even going to get a job 
end user experience at the end of it. Now, it was like a relatively lower risk, I suppose, than committing to do a, another degree, like full-on degree program. It was a three-month apprenticeship program. And fortunately, I did really enjoy it. And I was hired on at that company at the end of it as a designer. So it did work out. But I remember thinking that exact thing, like, I don't actually know if this is going to pan out, but I just know that I need to try and I need to take the chance because it's something that I really want for my life. And at the time, even when I did that, I was thinking, hey, this potentially could be the thing that would get me to Australia because I already knew at that point that I wanted to try to live here in Australia and I knew I needed to get a job. I needed to try to be in a career path that could get me a job here in this country. And I didn't know much at that point. I just thought, well, this could open the doors for that. So I guess so I guess to Jay, (laughs) to your question, you know, like, how do you know? I mean, you just you don't really really know. But I think, yeah, if you do know yourself, and I think that's maybe where, Angel, your question was coming back to is like, how do you how do you actually figure out what it is that you like to do and that you're good at? Because you have a lot of things that are of interest to you and lots of possible paths you could walk down. And it's hard maybe to narrow them down. And so I guess what what I've done, what what's worked for me in the past, and I talk about this on my podcast as well, but I just literally, I sit down in front of a blank wall and I get out a stack of sticky notes and I just write things out and I just give myself the opportunity to be really curious and really explore what's inside. And I did this big exercise a year ago It was right, you know, in the middle of the pandemic and I was in lockdown in Melbourne and I was really, it was a really uncertain time for me because I thought I wasn't sure at that point if I was going to be losing my job or not. But I knew that I, I was having one of those moments that we talked about previously where I thought, I I know that I'm unfulfilled in my job. I know that I want to do something different. I know I want to work for myself. I want to start a business, podcast, all these things. But what does that mean? I've got no idea. So I just sat down and again, I gave myself the space to just really get curious with myself. I wrote down every, literally just wrote down everything that I love, like things that light me up, things that bring me joy. I wrote down a list of all the skills that I have, all the experience that I've had from all my previous jobs and like life experience and everything. And I just put it all up on the wall and I would give myself a couple of days to do that process. So I'd sort of put it all out there. I'd kind of sit and I'd look at it and I'd reflect on it and then I'd walk away and then come back and do a bit more. And eventually you kind of start to see some themes and some patterns emerging. And some of it was information that I already knew about myself, but some of it was new. And so I was able to kind of take all of that patterns that I saw from doing that. And I wrote it all out. I put it down in my notes and my laptop and decided, okay, so I'm going to go from here. And at the time I decided I was going to start doing some coaching and working with women because I love encouraging people and I love helping people down their creative paths and to pursue their dreams. And so that was kind of how that all came about. So I don't, if you haven't taken the time to really sit down and do an activity like that with yourself and just, you know, because I think you can get so caught up in the world and you're thinking about all these things all the time and until you really kind of sit down and pause and give yourself the chance to really think through it all, it just continues to swirl around, you know, and then, yeah, and you get it all out in front of you. And that's why I like using sticky notes because it's like a very tangible, like physical, visual thing that you can put in front of you. And it doesn't have to be sticky notes. It could be something else. It could be whatever works for you or writing in a journal or drawing or painting or, you know, whatever it might be. And I think there's sort of that part of it. And then there's the other part of it where you go, okay, so this thing really speaks to me right now. This is lighting me up. This is bringing me joy. And based on the information that I have right now, I'm going to make a decision to do this thing. And if it means getting another college degree or quitting your job, you're essentially what I've learned anyways, you're just making like the best informed choice that you can 
at that moment of your life. And if it changes down the track, then it changes. That's not to say that there won't be some kind of heartache or challenge or something. But if you need to pivot later, then you pivot. So yeah, I don't, I, I, if that's, it's hard to know 100% for sure, you know, that's kind of the practice that I followed anyways in the last few years. I feel like the two main kind of takeaways, which are things are so hard that you through your life experience seem to have come through very well, at least that like my therapist telling me is like, you can't make a change until you know what you Mm. want. And then you also have to trust what you want and trust that you know yourself and know to know what you want. Because I feel like that's a lot of like what I'm working on. I'm actually taking the Google UX certification right now because someone recommended I try it out because I've always had a very creative side and a very kind of like logical analytical side and I couldn't I wasn't finding any jobs I like so I'm in the process of doing that right now and I really like it and it's finally kind of something I wish I'd known about in college but I'm I'm glad I can do it now but it's also hard for me to feel like I'm quarter life crisis 25 haven't had like a corporate job I want to buy a house I want to have a family kind of the joke at 25 is like half your friends are getting drunk on spring break and the other half are married with a 401k and kind of trying to feel like you're just navigating that and it's like not having a right answer mm-hmm. and living in that I don't know space right now feels really hard and I can definitely negatively talk to myself like well Jay why didn't you take this earlier why didn't you find this you've been having a year at home you haven't been working like what can you do and I think what you're able to do so well is trust that you know what's best for you and know what you want enough like you knew Australia Mm -hmm. you didn't really know what path was going to lead you there but Australia was what you wanted and therefore you were able to filter all the decisions and trust that that's what you wanted more most Mm. if I'm understanding what you're saying and I I will say like I did have that always a sort of an end goal in my mind and and I will say even if you don't even if you're sitting here going well that's really great Heather like that's awesome but I don't have that you know I don't have this one kind of end goal in my mind like that's okay too and I think that and hearing you talk as well and and I I know that struggle that you're (laughs) that you're talking about about and you, it's so hard to not fall into that comparison trap with everyone else around you that's in your similar age group and I still do that now in my 30s I, I do the exact same thing like most people my age have families and partners and homes and I'm living a very unconventional life very non-traditional path which is fine with me but sometimes I'm like oh okay well <laughs> you know that's a bit crazy but it works for me and it's what I want and I think if you don't necessarily have a big end goal in your mind I think what helps maybe take some of the pressure off is to look at everything as an experiment and to know that it's okay to try something and decide that it doesn't work out and change your mind and do something different and it's not the end of the world and you haven't failed all you've done is learned more about yourself and gathered more information so that you can then make a, a different choice and it's like you you say you're doing a UX course like I would say a lot of that is like user experience design principles as well because when you are or creative work you know you you try something and you learn what works and what doesn't and then you iterate and you try something new because you tried something to begin with you learned more in the process and so then you're able to make an, another informed decision when you iterate and then you try another version and it seems like very scary to apply that thinking to your life because we feel like we're going to run out of time because you're like oh I'm you know I'm 25 or like I'm whatever age you're at if I do this now what if I spend a year doing it and then it doesn't work out well then I've wasted all this time and then what 
what am I going to do? But I think it's kind of changing your mindset a bit to think, no, I didn't waste time at all. And if you didn't try that, would you have always wondered what it was going to be like? You know, and you're still then two years later, you're sitting here, you've done something else and you went, gosh, I really wish I should have tried that UX course or I really wish I should have tried that degree or that program or this different path. You know, and that's where I think it does come to what you were saying, Jay, like trusting yourself. And even if you don't know with 100% certainty, if something's feeling like pulling you in that moment and, and it's really speaking to you and really lighting you up and you're thinking, gosh, I, I really need to explore this. And it's about curiosity as well, like just continuing to be curious in your life. Okay, I'm going to explore that. I'm going to see what happens and keep checking in with yourself along the way. And if at any point it doesn't feel like it's working out, then you can pause and you can turn around and do something different and don't look at it as a waste of time at all because it's all a learning process and we're so stuck on like you have to get a degree and you have to stay in that degree and that job and that program and then if not it's so much work to go back and change and it doesn't have to be I don't think it doesn't have to be so rigid and so stressful I know that it is (laughs) I feel you (laughs) I feel that pain (laughs) just like branching off of that it made me think so the first episode or actually no that's a lie the second episode of your podcast that I listened to because the first one actually completely made me cry and then I called Jay and I was like why on earth are you bringing this woman on our podcast she's triggering all these feelings for me but I don't remember who your guest was but you guys were talking about the concept of like breaking the good girl stereotype and realigning your views like in terms of viewing like your actions as prototypes and like everything that you're doing like it's always something that can be approved upon and I feel like that's something that people need to hear so much earlier because I know the first time that that concept, the overall idea was brought to me in college and I I did not accept it at all. I completely rejected it. I was like, how dare you tell me that I can just go out there and try something out willy nilly, whatever. I've worked too hard in school. I've tried for so long to like get these opportunities and now get this degree and I'm trying to build this life for myself. I can't just like go out there and just oh see mm-hmm. what happens and then fall back. It's like because I don't have mm-hmm. a safety net. But I think it's something that we need to hear because we actually like we do have a safety net. My degree is part of my safety net. Like my friends, my family, they're part of my safety net. Like even if I don't think of that, I'm not starting from nothing. And I think that's where we need to like really push that message yeah. out. So help, help <laughs> us please. How how do we remember? that we're not starting from nothing every time we start something oh, new. Oh, it's a good question. And I think like, to be honest, I still, I still learn, I'm still learning that for myself, that process. One phrase that I really like that I say over and over to myself is just, hey, Heather, look how far you've come. And you just pause for a minute and just remember everything you've been through. And when I start to get discouraged and feel like, what am I doing? And what have I really accomplished? Then I just like, wait a minute, just pause for a minute. Look how far you've come. Like see, you know, even in the last year, in the last six months, and even before that, even just the fact that you've got yourself here to this country and, you know, that you even got yourself to this very place where you are right now in Cairns, Queensland, like the fact that, you know, I came out of lockdown and then, you know, there's just so many different things that experiences that you have that are unique to you and you're building a really strong foundation 
for yourselves right now without, you probably don't even realize it, but the fact that you're even doing this podcast and you're, you know, bringing on guests like me and the other people you've brought on your show, you're, you already demonstrating that you're very curious and open-minded about the world and about yourselves. And it's scary, but just, you know, trust yourself a little bit. And I think along that whole concept of, you know, iterating and prototyping and thinking of your life and your decisions like that. And knowing that once the more that you start to do that, it's almost like proof to yourself like, hey, okay, I did that thing. I tried that. Look at me go. Whether or not it works out, that's okay. That's all right. And to just start to tell yourself that over and over, like releasing that pressure from yourself to know, to think that a definition of success is sort of hinging on being the best at everything or everything working out perfectly or this decision, you know, working out completely how you'd expected it to. Because it just, it doesn't, you know, life has so many twists, you know, plot twists, you know, like a classic Gilmore Girls episode, you know, like just you're going to get thrown one thing after another. And the more that you do, the more you sort of step out. I think the more you can prove to yourself that you can trust yourself. And then you keep reminding yourself of that. And I think having friends, people who can hold you where you're at and, and support you and be with you along the journey and be gracious towards you and with you and remind you, you know, and I, I've got some beautiful women that I've connected with online over the last year who hold me accountable and they remind me of that too like they reflect that back to me when I forget because I do forget a lot too like I have to it's like a very conscious intentional effort to get up every day and remind yourself like hey like you are you've come so far and just because you're not where you think you should be doesn't mean you're not right where you should be in this very moment and it takes a while to get to where you want to be it is it's like the whole concept of in between and kind of feeling your way through it and the two of you can keep reminding each other you know, you've got each other and I'm sure you have other friends and support as well, which I think you can't really do it alone. Right. So just reflecting back to each other and saying you got this and hey, remember when you did this thing, you were so brave and you were so strong and you can do that again, just like that. You can keep doing it. I feel like the thing with all of our friends and I think just in your 20s and through life, but particularly in your 20s, being a young adult to an adult mm -hmm. adult, everyone has something they're yes. transitioning, whether it's friends who are getting married whether it's jobs so it's trying to find that balance of making sure you're filling yeah. your cup and holding the space where your friends need it because I think a lot of times that's kind of where mm -hmm. things get messy with friends and just think because it's like there's always trouble trying to make sure that I'm someone who like very much is a ride or die friend like and will hold my friends problems mm -hmm. above my own and what I'm fortunate enough to have learned as young as I have is by doing so I can't be what they need yeah. when I can't be what I need yeah. for myself and I think that's definitely something that we need to learn and something actually that um our lovely podcast coach Melissa um told us in one session that I love I think I'm gonna get this wrong Ida Glassman mm. Ira Glassman I don't know he he's a speaker of some sort I don't know she was explaining his concept of kind of creative graph thing and he was explaining how every time you start something there's this gap between what you like and what you consume in terms of art whether it be a tv show or something and then there's the where you're starting from doing it so like example like starting a podcast we all love Brene Brown's podcast but when we want to start a podcast there's a mm -hmm. knowledge gap between those things and part of being in that in between is realizing well yeah I haven't done the year's worth of research Brene 
Brown has. I don't have all the connections Dak Shepard has. I don't have all of those, but I know why I like their podcast and I know what I want to emulate on my podcast or I have a lot of theater friends. Know why I like X performance and I'm going to take this singing note or that note or something in that and being okay knowing you're always in the process of closing that gap between you and the expert you're looking Mm, up to. Yeah. I, well, I think it's, I think it's hard for one, obviously not to keep comparing ourselves to the people who are out there and knowing, I mean, they have so many more years and experience and, you know, on us and, and that's okay. We, we can learn from them and we can grow from them. And I think I try to look at it instead of feeling like I'm comparing myself or, oh, I can never be like Brene or, yeah, I love Dax, Dax and Monica's style and all these, you know, like, yeah, like you can, but you're not them, you're you. And you can learn from the, you know, I, I've listened to different podcasts and hosts and I kind of go, oh, should I be like them? Like, maybe I should try that. And I'm just like, wait a minute, is that my style? Is that me? Is that me being authentic? Because if I don't show up as authentically me on my podcast, then people are going to know that. So maybe that interview style is more formal. And just because that expert is doing it that way doesn't mean that that's going to work for my show and for me because it won't feel right for me. It'll feel forced. And there's nothing wrong with trying different styles and, again, experimenting. You know, But if it doesn't feel right to you and you can learning from them and then respecting where you're at now and just continuing to grow and try new things and not, you know, know that they all started off. (laughs) I mean, granted, like when Brene was your age, our age, like she wasn't, they probably wasn't podcasting, but the idea that like everyone who got to where they are now, like they had to start somewhere as well and they had to learn and to grow. And, you know, when she, when, when, there Brene starting her research or when she was first doing TED Talks and all this stuff. I mean, it was it was a process for her to learn as well. And so when you think of that, you're just in the beginning stages of that of that growth process. And, you know, the more you keep doing it and keep putting yourself out there, the more that you will eventually one day you can <laughs> get to that point. That's okay that you're not right now. But I I feel that way too. I'm like, I'm I'm great at comparing. One thing I wish I could, I've just like the thing that I've sort of struggled with my entire like creative life, adult life. It's really tough. We were talking about friends too, I guess, before that, but <laughs> I don't know if you wanted to talk about that again as well. <laughs> Your friendships. Oh, no, I just, I, I always have, I always have the question from my favorite topic, dating oh boy. boys. How on earth do you manage, how on earth do you manage like as an adult, your like personal goals and your professional goals? Because I'm such an overscheduler. I feel like nine times out of 10, I'm always telling someone like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. I have work or I need Mm. to do something for work or I need to leave early because I have to work. (sighs) Yeah. Well, I guess what I've learned over the years, because I used to say a lot of those things, oh, I'm busy or oh yeah, I have work and all these things. And I'm like, the reality is, yes, you do. You may have those responsibilities. But what I've learned is that you make, you really make time for the things in your life that are important. And, you know, whatever, what are your priorities? Like, what do you, what do you want? And, and that, 
probably goes back to what we were talking about earlier about knowing yourself and trusting yourself. You know, if work is your priority right now and that's that's your priority and there's nothing wrong with that either. And I think not beating yourself up for wanting work to be a priority or wanting relationships to be a priority. But if you want more of a balance and you want to have time, you want to work and you want to have more room in your life for relationships, you know, friendships or romantic interests or whatever it may be, what's your, what are you going to prioritize? How can you, you know, there to be a bit of a trade-off. So maybe I can't work late tonight because I want to go out on a date or I want to catch up with my friends for dinner. And if that's becoming a priority for you in your life, if that's something that you really want, you know, knowing that you don't have to give up your job, you don't have to give up work, but maybe just that you have to cut back on the amount of hours that you work. And then it also could be a matter of examining, okay, why am I working so many hours? And is there some kind of boundary that I need to set in my life with my job, (laughs) you know, or is there a reason why? Am I working hard because I feel like I need to get ahead or I feel like it's something I should do or I'm feeling obligated or guilty? So, I mean, there could be a whole (laughs) array of things kind of tied into that. But yeah, you make time for the things. You can always figure it out. That's I firmly believe that. You can figure out a way to make it work. You can find a balance. Yes, there's trade-offs, but what's important to you? And hard when you're trying to get ahead, I realize. Um, when you're when you're young and you're like, well, I feel like I need to work 10 hour, 12 hour days to get ahead in my job. But <laughs> I've worked so many different jobs and throughout my career. And I just think like, is that really worth it? And, and what's kind of the, there's like this whole, I think there's like maybe a whole culture shift that probably needs to happen behind that, which probably is a whole different topic. If I'm busting myself that many hours, you know, to work that hard, like, was it all, what is it all for? And I'm a firm believer in quality over quantity anyway, and that it's not necessarily, Mm -hmm. I have to work a 10, 12 hour day at work because I can still, I could actually do much better quality work in a normal amount of time. I don't know your full situation, but yeah, it's just, I know that those are some of the pressures that come with trying to find a career and get ahead in a job. And it's, it's, Again, I do think there's a lot of cultural pressure and expectation, especially in the U.S. I mean, not that it doesn't exist here in Australia, but there's definitely more of a healthy work-life balance here, I would say, <laughs> that the U.S. definitely doesn't promote. At least, at least, I don't think so. I mean, it's been a while since I've been there, but I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It still, still doesn't. Still doesn't. I think it's gotten Yeah, worse. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> the pandemic for some people I know made it better because company, because mm-hmm. it was harder to get to people. And then some companies made it worse because, oh, you can check your email at yeah. 9.30. Yeah. You can do Danger. that. Danger. So pivoting more into relationships, friendships, all that kind of thing. What would post-college 22, 25-year-old Heather be looking for in a partner that Heather now what differs or what's the priority oh my now or is it like is it a different priority or if you kind of these are a lot of questions so answer whatever variety you would like if you could kind of where you are now look at yourself then kind of like smack yourself on the head with one lesson of like focus on this or look for this or you don't want or this isn't a red flag where this is a red flag like what would kind of those <laughs> oh my gosh be? um well gosh there's a lot there because um, yeah, I don't know if you listen to any of my podcasts. I talk about my story a little bit, but got married when I was 22 and I'm not married anymore. And so, I mean, I think that question is pretty relevant for me because I definitely think Heather now is so much more wise and in tune with herself 
than 22 year old Heather was. And I don't, I think I've always been pretty mature and self aware. That being said, when I was 22, I didn't, don't think I really knew myself as fully as I do now. And I think I felt a lot of pressure just through culture and just through the way that I was like in my upbringing to get married young and that's just kind of what you did and that's what I saw all my friends do and I feel like I don't even really know what I was really looking for at the time but now I would say there are certain non-negotiables that you need to have in a relationship and I don't think I realized what those were for me at the time because I didn't really know myself as well as I do now and I'm a very active and motivated and driven person and I would need to be with a partner who is the same but not so much so that they couldn't make me a priority in their life because I do think that a relationship does need to be a priority and there does need to be a healthy balance of, you know, yes, you have a relationship and you have all of your other things, but if you want to have someone in your life, that person does need to be the top priority. I'm struggling now to find someone who's really driven and motivated that actually wants to make a relationship a priority. Sorry, it just started like downpouring. So I don't know, you might be able to hear that on the recording, but yeah, tropical Sounds rain. Like, oh um, but yeah, I think that's one of the big things and somebody who's going to allow me to be my full, show up as my whole authentic self who will enhance my life and not take over it, but allows me to show up as me and can actually hold space for me to be me. And I would do the same, but I wouldn't have been able to articulate that when I got married the first time. <laughs> I will say you have a bit of an advantage over us being that you have a lot of accents around you. I feel like that must not be hard to be listening to quite frequently. I'm not saying it makes it any easier to find someone, but like the dates might not be as hard to manage. <sighs> I mean, <laughs> I've had my fair share of problems. We'll just say that. It's not been very easy. I've got a few pretty recent examples, unfortunately, to share, but it's really tough. Like, it's really, really hard. And when I was 22, we didn't have dating apps. We barely had smartphones, which makes me sound really, really old. Like, I promise I'm not that old. Like, I'm in my 30s, but like, but still, like, but things <laughs> that techno technology has changed so rapidly in that time that, like, now then I, you know, when my marriage ended, I was like, well, now what do I do? Like, what? I've got to use a dating app? No, no thanks. I have a friend who married her college sweetheart they met their freshman year they actually met a little bit before the freshman year like an orientation and they got married but they're my age and they never experienced a dating app too because right when those things were coming up is when they got together so it's definitely there it's not an age thing I think it's just like a timing thing I have relatives who are around my age who never did because yeah. they just found that yeah. person like right before dating app became less taboo because originally anyone on tinder was like oh yeah. They're on Tinder. They're they're looking for something very specific. And there weren't really dating apps to find a partner. There yes. were hookup apps. Yeah. So that's even changed over the yeah, last Yeah, and I know a lot of people too. who've met on Tinder and who've actually found their long-term partner, their spouse. That's actually the one app I haven't tried because I, in my mind, it's still a hookup app. But then I keep hearing all these stories of people who've actually met like their serious partner on Tinder. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe there's something to that. <laughs> it's a minefield. It's very tough. I mean, definitely try it out. Like I, I've only ever went out with one person from Tinder and it didn't work out for us, but he actually turned out to become yeah, a really good that's friend. Yeah, good too. And that can happen. Yeah. Miss Soulmate after one message, any questions? Oh, that sounds interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear about that. I, I have some very 
high <laughs> expectations for one person, but I also just tend to get a little overexcited when I reemerge on dating apps. Like I've only been swiping for what a month now, maybe. maybe I don't a know. Month. <laughs> this is the first time we've been together in person since oh. pre-pandemic wow. and she comes over and is like oh my god I have a soulmate I found a soulmate and I was like oh okay like cool in our friendship one of the boundaries we have is around each other's dating lives just we get a little too entangled in them so we try to keep the boundaries so I'm like oh great and then she do you want to see him like when you're ready you can tell me about him and then she shows me and I'm like you talk you met him two days ago she's like yeah well he responded I'm like oh so he's your soulmate because he's continued a conversation like yes we know this I'm like got it that's that's what we're that's our definition of how this is going um no he was not my soulmate because he responded he was my soulmate because he was the one to respond most recently okay, there's a difference so is your new soulmate the next person who responded did yes. they replace him what is your <laughs> definition of, I was gonna say what is so your definition of soulmate like is it is it just related to dating apps or is there like a bigger definition of soulmate for you Oh, no, no. My true definition of soulmate actually comes from oh, no. vintage Melissa Joan Hart, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, uh, when your soul stones match. Very good. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. That's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something a little more. But this this guy seems mm. interesting. He He's he's very into basketball. Oh, as very I, good. So. That's a very good common interest yeah. to start with. Yeah. And he's he's actually been polite about it, like other guys that have responded to my interest in basketball on the app have been a little bit more um misogynistic yeah well yeah it's gonna say they like to start an interrogation but that's just a, a better way to put it I feel like the thing with dating apps which is so hard I literally thought of like putting on mine like tell me your favorite Brene <laughs> Brown quote because at least it tells me something about so it gives me something to work off of. One of the ones I put what on one of my dating apps, which a few people have answered and I've screenshotted their answers. They weren't cute, so I didn't match with them. But tell me what your favorite TED mm. Talk is. Because I feel like, it. one, I learned something and I'm a very curious person. And two, it lets me see what kind of what they think is interesting. Yeah. But I think the thing with dating apps that's so hard, similarly to kind of all the conversation we've had, is like trying to show up as full mm -hmm. as you can through four to six photos, yeah. a few questions yeah. and a It's bio. really, really hard. And you feel really um, superficial swiping on people based on virtually no information. I really struggle with it because I'm a very relational one-on-one uh -huh. -on -one person. And it's really hard for me to judge somebody just based on that. I mean, I, you, you learn how to do it pretty quickly, which is kind of sad, you know, because I'm sure some of those people are lovely. They're just not. And I think if you're just it's like, you have to like learn a new definition of like attraction, like what it means to get you to actually sort of swipe on somebody or agree to start chatting. Like for me, it's a, it's a fair bit. Sometimes I'll just get really frustrated and bored and I'll just be like, fine, you, 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 you go. And then within like a day I've lost interest in pretty much all of them like it's just it takes a lot to hold my attention I'm very bad at the apps and I will say I have had no success sadly to report whatsoever like I've actually had some very bad experiences including one very recently oh, who no. was a lot older who I thought was like very gonna be very mature and like on my level love like Brene, Brene Brown fan self-development fan but not quite what I was expecting Oh, no. It was very, it's very disappointing. Still, when they're men, it's a little one. bit different. Yeah. Still working through that one, to be honest. So it's very, it was very like, just not, did not turn out how I thought it was going to turn out. I was expecting a lot more from someone who was older and more mature. So I'm like, now what? Here was someone who was like, yeah, what, what, <laughs> 
what do you do? It's really tough. I definitely understand that being on apps because like I'm not trying to tout myself as someone who is super empathetic and kind and does this, but it's like I didn't, I don't like the superficial like yes, no, yes, no, like based yeah. on this. In our dating episode, what I realized is by me not doing that, I went on many dates during my datathon of men I really wasn't attracted to because I was like, maybe they have a good personality. Yes. Maybe they have a good mo- Maybe they're kind to their yeah. mother. Maybe all of these things. And then my therapist thoughtfully, which I can expand on for you, is she's like, be like a thoughtful hoe. Is, those are not her words, but that's the way I'm interpreting it. She's like, <laughs> my therapist kind of said, she's like, be like Baskin Robbins and kind of like try all the flavors, <laughs> but do it in the most comfortable way you can. Because the thing for me, she's like, you're giving too many people credit Angela knows I went on the second date with someone who I really didn't want to go on a second date with. And I was I, very against the second date. Because he was just very much doing the behaviors I didn't appreciate. But my thing was like, well, maybe he was nervous on the first one. So like, let's oh, go to the yeah. second one. And then I was like, I, I definitely don't like you. And it's like, I just, for me, trying to find someone I like is so hard. So knowing that I could be making someone feel that way and that I don't reciprocate, I just feel like an awful human. So then I'm like, well, maybe, or I can try. And it just like, it's hard. I'm finally I, getting yeah. over it. I'm finally starting. To, you you do have to hard. make a lot of, I don't know if excuses is the right word, but maybe that's what it ends up being. Like, you're like, oh, but maybe, because I was doing this with this last guy as well. It's like, oh, well, maybe he's just going through something and it'll get better. And maybe, or yeah, when you're on a date, oh yeah, maybe he's just nervous or maybe, but you can only do that so long to a certain point before mm-hmm. you kind of like, okay, well, who am I in this relationship and what do I want? Am I happy? Am I able to bring my full self to the table? Do I, am I, am I even interested in this person at all? Like just fundamentally, like at the very level one, do I even feel attracted to this person? Is there a spark? Like, I mean, and if not, I mean like, yeah, that can grow over time. Can, but I don't know. You kind of have to answer for yourself. Like how much time or effort are you willing to put in to see if that spark can grow? And sometimes I'm very heart-led and intuitive and I just kind of feel like I'm going to know within probably the first 10 minutes of meeting somebody whether or not I want to have a second date or even I'm going to enjoy the rest of this date. And that sounds like a pretty harsh judgment, but to be honest, for no, dating apps, for dating apps that's true. what I do. And I've been on, I went on, when I was living in Melbourne, I went on just, I was trying all the, I was trying different flavors right? Like your therapist said, like, I was just like, all right, fine. Like, I guess I have to do this thing like very begrudgingly. So sure. You seem nice enough that I have like a casual drink with. Great. And then like within 10 minutes, I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, not nah, pretty much right away. You know, but then the ones where I think, oh, this is really something like the last two guys I've had experiences with. And then they just turn out to like, it just shocking actually how different they actually end up being and I'm I'm ending I end up being like what just happened like what actually just happened so I don't know very weird emotional catfishes I feel like the thing which like we're not especially as women we're not told enough first question should be is not does he want to date me it's do I want to date him and my entire life until around now I was told does he like me and only recently have I started like do I want to go on a date with you and honestly for most of the guys I've gone on a date with the yeah. answer has been no. Yeah, that's so good. That's definitely right. the way to approach it. It feels such like a foreign concept, even though it's so simple because my entire life, it, my friends at high school in the lockers, oh, does he like me? Does Did he leave a note in my locker? Is he walking me to class? Like, what does he think? Does he like me? What does he mean by this text? And it's never like them saying like, do you think, like, do I like him? It's always, especially when it's your friends, they're like, oh, do you think he likes me? Versus the question of like, how much do you like him? Which is the question we should, we should be, be conditioning yes. women yeah. to be asking. 
I agree. And I do think there is a big shift because when I was in high school and grade school, yeah, it was all about that. Like, oh, like, oh, you tell your best friend, like, oh, ask him how, what he thinks about me. Does he like me? And to be honest, I flat out just put it out there now. I'm like, hey, I like you or hey, I'm interested in getting to know you better. But like, where are you at? You know? And generally, I think that seems and I don't think it's a very scary thing. Like I'm I think for a guy, hey, that would be refreshing to have a woman who knows what she wants and who's honest. But I don't know know if that puts people off, but I don't get very I don't have a very high success rate, although I feel better because then I feel like I've at least put myself out there, spoken what I want. And then if they don't feel the same way, well, at least I know and I'm going to walk away and I'm not going to waste my time anymore. So I guess if you consider that, that I don't have to waste invest any more time and I saved myself from getting a broken heart, then I guess that is what could be considered a high success rate. But in terms of someone being like, yeah, I do like you and I want to get to know you better, I haven't really had that response. But also I think Australian guys are a bit not sure what to do with a woman who's a little bit more forward like that. I am still an American after all. I also saw the statistic that I hope is wrong. Angela fact checks all these. Like after an IQ score of like a hundred points, every like 10 a woman has, she becomes like 20 percent less dateable or something oh Oh, god it it might not be that high or that accurate but it's something there's something to do with like there's a correlation between how smart a woman is and her and like how dateable she is and i'm like there are men who are willing to date independent thoughtful and emotionally intelligent women however as we're kind of going through this transition phase of times up and kind of learning how to renegotiate and letting men have that openness. Cause one of my favorite things in Brene Brown's book, the first one I read was her explaining how she had one of her main talks and there was like a guy and a girl and the girl was like, my boyfriend only liked me for my body. And he's like, well, that guy, that one guy's a jackass. But when I cried to my wife, she had no clue how to handle me, know what to do with me. And like, she wanted to leave me because she, women say they want emotional intimacy and they want men to do that. And then when men cry or do anything, women are like, whoa, like, but like build me a house. They say one thing and then they just, the women aren't encouraging the men to do mm. it. So I also think it's yeah. about trying to make sure you're really preaching and living and wanting what you're asking for. And I think through talking to you, Heather, I wish I had the trust in myself that you have in yours career-wise relationship-wise like being so forward and just like you know that one I think your definition of failure and success are very healthy ones that I'm trying to work towards but two just knowing kind of that pivoting is pivoting is just life and knowing that it's always a redirection not Mm, a misdirection mm -hmm. which is kind of where I feel like I'm still trying to like tell myself I don't believe it yet but I tell it to myself yeah well, look, and I will say it, it's not like that happens overnight. So I I would have say I would have spent most of my 20s and the early part of my 30s in that same mindset. And I, w- I honestly think it's really only after a lot of intentional work over the last maybe two, two and a half years even, like so fairly recently that I would have gotten to that point where I – I realized, hey, I, I really trust myself. And but but I will say, as I was mentioning earlier, a lot of I made a lot of decisions that I that were really scary and that I was really unsure of, but I did it. And then I started to I think that is what helped me trust myself more and more. It's like, hey, you can do this because you did that. You did that thing. You made this hard decision and it was scary and you didn't know how it was gonna turn out, but something in you said that this is what you should do, so you followed it. And it might not work out the way that you thought it would exactly, but it still worked out. Like it still happened and you still followed this path and you're in a place now like I'm in a place now where I'm much closer to the life that I imagine for myself than I ever have been and that that really only happened in the last couple of years really and it was about 
taking risks and, and trying new things and yeah, being willing to to learn from it and continuing to be curious. But it definitely in your 20s, I, I would say too, and like I said, even the early part of my 30s, I was still trying to work to shake off that cultural pressure expectation norm because when you come when you go through college and you come out of college I think that that's still very very fresh not that it ever really is it's still like I was even saying like I still realize I'm very well aware that I'm not living a very conventional life but I just you get to a point where you're like you know what I don't actually care anymore because this is my life and I want to be happy living my life and if that means I'm going to try things and make choices and and to be honest there's been things like I said this past this last sort of relationship that didn't work out where I actually really I stopped for a minute and questioned. I was like, okay, I really trust myself. And I really trusted myself about this particular person in the situation. And and it didn't work out. And I seriously was like reeling a bit from it. I'm still trying to work out what happened because I really followed my intuition. So then I'm like, do I not trust myself anymore? Like, did I steer myself wrong? And you, so I will say that, yes, I trust myself. And there are also times where I question it. And I think you just have to know, like, just because you're questioning something or questioning yourself always doesn't mean that's a bad thing and that can actually be healthy as long as you kind of know what your anchor point is and you can kind of come back to yourself I think it's okay to have a healthy amount of questioning because then that you reevaluate am I where I want to be yep am I not no okay so what can I do differently to get to where I want to be so I don't know if that's any help to you but I guess just to say that like it takes time and don't beat yourself up because you haven't figured that out or you haven't just woken up to this tomorrow you won't wake up and just be like yes I trust myself completely and I'm 100% okay with trying all these things and not knowing like it is always going to be scary and uncertain and it takes a process of doing it to become more okay with it <laughs> which isn't like an, it's not like a quick easy answer I guess but yeah yeah never is did you read Unintamed yes, Glenn yes, Doyle's yes, book yes, yes. 100% yes okay so good. So you you own it. You haven't read it yet, right? Correct. Okay. Well, she has this one story about her daughter and oh, yes. the polar bears. I'll explain to you later. But I think the end point of the story is what if all of us who care, all of us who are seeming kind of off, who are more spirited, who are more emotional, we're not the off ones. We're just the ones who are actually realizing the life we're living in kind of like Inception Truman Show. Like what if we're just the ones who are really seeing yeah. things for what they are and everyone else's heads are yeah. just in the sand. And I think looking at things that way has really brought me some comfort of like, when you were bringing up like what conventional is like, yeah, but conventional doesn't mean happy. So why are we doing, why are we striving mm -hmm. for conventional when we could strive for happy or yeah. joy or play? Like, why are we striving to be conventional? Yeah, right. And like, it's a good, great, great question, but that's what we're bombarded with. And then when you actually stop to think, wait a minute, so I was doing the thing that everybody told me I should be doing, but that's not actually making me feel happy or fulfilled in my life. Okay, what does that mean for me? Yeah, what does success look like for me? What is a fulfilled, joyful life? What is getting up in the morning, doing something that lights me up look like for me? And okay, great. Well, then I've got that picture in my mind. So what do I need to do to get there? And then it becomes about just breaking it down into really practical steps. Like how do I, how do I, what's like logically, tangibly, how do I actually get to that point? What can I do? What's like the next right step? Which if you're a Disney fan in Frozen 2, Anna sings that song. Love it. Chris. Yeah. And Kristen I Bell. like when I, when I first saw that movie and she sang that song, I was like, oh my gosh, this is speaking to my life right now. And she just sings, do, do the next right thing. <laughs> Honestly. And I was like, that is like the theme of my life. I feel like, yeah, that's all I you cried. do. Do the next right thing. I cried if, in the if that's, 
if that's all that you really, that helps you, like just do the next right thing. Don't think about 10 steps ahead. What's like the next right thing? I mean, do think about what you want and your goal, but, uh, <laughs> but, like, but like not to the point where it's so stressful and you feel so yeah. controlled and attached to that one outcome that it kind of paralyzes you from trying new things and experimenting. I think over here, we call that attainable <laughs> goals. Which started for me like post-college when I was freaking out because I'd gone through a breakup and I couldn't find a job. That's not where attainable goals came from. No, it's not. So there's (laughs) – no, so the term goals is just like in – people are like, oh, that's couple goals. That's whatever. One of Angela's favorite shows is The Mindy Project. And I haven't seen it, but she shows me Mindy Cowling and whoever the doctor lead is and like the love interest. And I was like, oh – that's attainable. And here's the thing. This was my internal misogyny, white supremacy, patriarchy. Like, they're not a very attractive couple. I'm not saying that they're not pretty. They're not as conventionally attractive as a lot of people on TV are. So I was like, oh, they're attainable goals. Like, I can be that pretty and date a guy like that. Like, I could reach that. So that's like how attainable goals is. But are you settling then? Are you settling for your life? That is another way of looking for it. Um, No. So it's a way of saying it's almost like your next step. It's like, okay, it's like this is like you're taking one Mm -hmm. step on the stair. It's like, don't think about taking like five steps at once. It's like take one and then the next one until you get to that. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a really healthy way to look at it because the trap that we fall into and like what this has been so much of my life, what I've worked on as well is like, again, thinking about, I know like the big goal that I might be trying to work towards and I get really overwhelmed because I'm already trying to think 20 steps ahead when in reality, you're what exactly what you said. You should really only be thinking about what's like, again, the next, do the next right thing. Like what's like that immediate step that's right in front of you, that little bite-sized piece. It doesn't have to be this like, I have to do all the the things right now. I have to like save the entire world right now. It's like, okay, well, if you want to save the world, what's like (laughs) the first thing? First, you probably need a really cute outfit. And then- you know what I mean? Like you just break it down like that, like that tiny of a piece, you know, if it's going to a new degree program, like researching a school or figuring out what it is you want to do with that degree, even do you even need to get a degree? Is there another way to achieve what you want without getting a degree? Because I think that's actually probably pretty true. Like, I don't really believe you need to have a degree to do everything anymore. And I think that's probably a very cultural expectation that's been ingrained in us. Like I could have easily learned how to do graph. I already taught myself how to learn graphic design when I went to school for it. Most of the intro classes was stuff I had already taught myself how to do. And then I was like, well, what am I even doing here? Like, I could have just, you know, so that's something to consider. So maybe the the goal isn't getting a degree. The goal is like, what am I actually like? What am I, what do I think the degree is going to solve? Like, what purpose will it have? And then if there's like another end goal beyond that, like you want to work for a nonprofit or start a nonprofit, what, you know, whatever the case may be, do you, do I need a degree to do that? Maybe the answer could be yes. Or maybe there's another way, there's another solution or another path, or maybe you could like volunteer or you connections in that space, or I don't, you know, I don't know all the specifics, but potentially just exploring what other paths are out there that don't require, you know, the, the kind of, you know, commitment that a degree could be like, just, just allowing yourself to think outside the box a little bit. I know I could put this in the show notes, or I could just say this now, the degree definitely comes yeah. from a yeah. base. Yeah. Like, yeah, it totally does because I like I did work for a nonprofit for a while and like it was a it was a very fulfilling experience and I loved it and that's why I'd love mm-hmm. to get back to it but just some of the things that were presented to me in terms of like my qualifications and my mm-hmm. education level like weren't exactly the greatest so I was like oh I need more like I should do more mm-hmm. so that way I can come back to this but mm-hmm. I know it's not necessarily yeah. needed because worked with like mm-hmm. other nonprofits like on a volunteer basis and things like that and I've heard 
the people's stories about who's running it, who the CEOs are, like those VP positions. And none of them have like formal master's degrees. None of them even have like undergraduate degrees necessarily in anything related to business management or nonprofits. Well, that's like, and there you go. Like that, and and if it was say, if it was one person who told you that, like if it was maybe somebody you worked with or encountered who said, hey, you'd really need to have more experience. I don't know for sure, but let's say it was one person or even a few people aren't always the expert. And I think it's, it is like you've done, you've gone out and you've done a bit more research and you've seen that there are other people working in that space who don't necessarily have a degree, but they're still successful and they're still doing that work. And so I, I do think that because I was at that similar mindset. Like I said, when I went back to school for graphic design, I was like, oh, I better get a degree in this because then that means I'm qualified to do this work. And I don't think that's the case anymore. I mean, obviously, like if you want to be a doctor or a psychologist or like there are some (laughs) jobs for which, yes, you do need to have proper qualifications. But I think probably a lot more careers and jobs now than we think you probably don't like a degree doesn't mean that necessarily you're qualified I think there are a lot of other paths it's just about trying to figure out what those paths look like and it is different it is scary you're Mm -hmm. right like something interesting about that American mindset around having a college degree and where we get so like you said it is like a fear-based thing like oh I have to have a degree because a degree means that I can do this work (laughs) right it's it's very interesting I don't think people are ready for this conversation but I don't think no I don't either college I 100% like if I ever have kids I would be like it's okay if you don't go to college do what you want to do (laughs) I don't know it sounds really like do what you want to do but like no like seriously like and here (laughs) in Australia and in the UK Europe you know other places like they have a totally different mindset about college and a lot of them they do have they go to college Mm -hmm. right and they are college educated but a lot of them take gap years and they travel they spend more time abroad which is not something I mean Americans do that but I don't think it's as highly encouraged. It's hurry up and get your degree and figure out what you want to do so you can graduate and start making money and buy your house and have your 2.5 kids and your dog and all that stuff. Like, Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Actually, super fun fact about Australia. Apparently, the country has a really great like paramedic program in college and you can get like some sort of degree in emergency medicine. And they actually supply the United States with a ton of paramedics. Oh. That is oh. cool. I have known a few people who have gone through that mm-hmm. program, but I didn't know that they supplied the U. At least supplied the U.S. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So I guess like you guys have so many well-trained emergency oh. response officials. Well. Like we've, we've started to poach them. Well, maybe that's why. Well, I was going to say I've been hearing on the news that the emergency response times are very um, slow, and there's actually oh, no. not enough like emergency responders. So we're taking. Oh, I don't know oh, if that's God. why, but that's been oh. like in the news headlines that there hasn't been. I mean, yeah. we, that would be just like us. I mean, we took all the COVID vaccines, so this also. I mean, that's true. Yeah, right. boy, we could really go down a rabbit trail with that. Like, what else? <laughs> <laughs> do you have any final qu- i have a final question to end on unless you have any more in um, this film no okay. you're all good okay so i could ask you as a fellow gilmore fan who do you think the father of rory's oh baby gosh. is but i'm going to go this way which is who do you want the father to be oh it's a really really strong question to finish on um you know what i have to actually confess i've only ever watched that once which is crazy for a Gilmore fan, but like it just no, it wasn't. I think I made it through like one and a it, half. It wasn't times. like I kept intending to watch it again, but I was like, oh, I don't know. It just something doesn't feel Gilmore about it. Um, I've watched it a few times, and every time I think this does not bring me joy. Yeah, I feel yeah. like what would be better to try is go from season six to the revival yeah, and skip true. seven. 
True. Because those are yeah. because then you're you're finishing Amy Sherman Palladino's yeah, storyline, which I think because my biggest yeah. issue with the revival is it felt like they completely ignored season seven, mm-hmm. and this is what Amy wanted for season seven to be, yeah. and that was my biggest issue with it. Is it was like what Rory had was following Obama. She had a yeah. job, and then she was like. They totally kind of her her character arc. I was like, so Rory, like she took a step backwards. Like this is not Rory. Like it just didn't feel like her character. I thought it was strange. I okay. So to answer your question, okay. Well, I mean, I I think it's pretty logically Logan's the father, but of course I I've always been a Jess fan. I did like Logan very temporarily. I liked Lo- I liked Logan in our favorite episode for which you're podcast is named I liked him for a short period of time and then I just thought he became kind of an ass and so um but I was cheering for him for a while but then Jess just comes back later on in the show and just acts a lot more like I think the kind of Jess that Rory needs in her life like the kind of person that Rory needs I'm not 100% totally opposed to Dean I don't even know why he's part of the conversation ever no just no 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 on so many levels but and I don't really like their storyline and the revival I don't really like the fact that Logan's like engaged and then Rory's like on the side I really don't like that mm-hmm. well that goes with one of my favorite conspiracy theories which Angela and I talked about in the intro of another episode which is their parallel was Rory's actually Christopher and Logan is Lorelai mm. which I love this theory and I can really see the evidence to back it up in the thing so the fact that Rory is still kind of sleeping with Logan in the rival while he's married kind it's kind of like Chris going in and out on Lorelai yeah. when he feels he needs the support so Rory when she's kind of down on her luck goes back to Logan who's in this committed mm. relationship whatever I can completely see the parallels I'm always and will be team logan i loved his arc of logan i loved i thought to me he was the perfect combination of the other two yeah 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 you're a jess girl i know yeah i think but i after hearing that i was like oh that's a really interesting thing yeah honestly though the biggest thing is like Rory's just got so much more annoying the older I get yeah I agree it is weird watching it back now like I still will watch it back for just like when I really need a good feel good comfort nostalgia but yeah it's just it's aged okay but not as well as I probably would have liked and yeah and then the older you get you're like oh I don't know about these characters anymore like they are a little bit annoying sometimes like just get over it you know like just Rory was told by one person she didn't have it to be a journalist and drops out of college for six months and commits a felony yeah (laughs) yeah it's so true it's so true it's like okay so yeah she she doesn't really show a whole lot of resilience I suppose and granted I guess that was like supposedly a good tv storyline but also it is a bit disappointing and then that's why I was disappointed in her character in the revival too because I'm like that's just not Rory it's just I mean it could be I guess it could be because as we've just talked to spent the last hour and some talking about like yeah you go through seasons in life and transitions and so maybe that she was just going through a, a time but something about it just didn't feel right well, it's like even for as down on her luck as she was, we didn't understand why. Like, oh my God, I went on the Obama trail and it didn't yeah. work. Or I did this and it didn't work. It just was like, did you do nothing for the last decade? Yeah. I've been waiting to see you. At, mm. And they apparently, the, the second revival what? is in the Oh, what? They are going to do it. I've, yes. I've heard, oh. I've heard their things. 
Well, I know the other thing that Lauren Graham said, which I absolutely love, is she has, I mean, I don't know whether how exactly this is true, but she says she has a Gilmore addendum in all of her contracts that if they ever do anything Gilmore, she's always allowed out. Oh, no way. That is so good. I'm glad she's so committed. And did you know that Scott Patterson has a podcast, by the way? Mm-hmm. I did. He's he he's also. Oh my god. Also, um, Christopher Hayden was pro insurrection of America. No. And I was like, oh, there's a reason we never. He, th- you knew this. There's a reason I never. No. There's a reason I didn't know that. He like he tweeted something to the extent of like good people on both sides after the insurrection. Like, oh no, no. no, we never liked. She was a character. Now I don't like. Better him. not bring him back. There's no point in bringing him back. There's just no point. Was he in the Never. revival? I actually don't even remember. Was he in the first one? I can't recall. He had one scene. Yeah, it was like very brief, right? No. No, we don't need him. But it would be really good because then we could see who, like, what happens with Rory and the baby and Logan and Jess and all of the things. Well, what really disappointed me about the revival is that it's been, what, it was 10 years Gigi should be a teenager mm. now. How does Rory not have a relationship with her? Yeah. That's right. Rory's just like off in her own little world, really. Hopefully they can bring some of that back around if they do a second revival. Like that gives me hope. I'm like, okay, maybe it'll be better. Maybe it'll be really good if they if they bring it back. They've talked about it. I think they actually did talk about it on the episode of Scott's um, podcast. I think there was some talk of it. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting podcast. I wasn't sure if I loved it. Oh, wait, Heather. I don't know if I ever told you this. Um, My uncle for our podcast lunch got us a cameo for Mrs. Kim. What? And it's like a very thorough cameo. I'll send it to you. It is the best thing ever. Oh. Yeah. Wait, why have we never posted that? Can we not post it? No, I said. Th- um, I just need to crop the end out. Okay. She did so well and then ends it with your boyfriend, Steve. And it's my godfather. <laughs> it was my uncle who gave it to me. So it's like, that was the only part that was a little weird that I had to crop out. But no, we can oh, post. Okay, cool. We're yeah, do that for that. sure. That's so awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, well, there'll be plenty more to talk about with the second revival that happens. So I agree. We'll have you back oh on. Oh my gosh. We'll have to dissect it all. That would actually be really fun. I would love to do like a um, reflection on a TV show or series or something because I always have very strong opinions. So Same. if that happens, we'll have to do it. Yeah, no, we'd love to have you back. <laughs> or pick another show. Well, I don't know if I watch all the shows now, but there are some shows that I, I don't watch much American TV unless it's on like Netflix or Disney Plus. So Marvel, that's one thing I can, which I know Jay loves. Oh, yeah. Very nice. Oh, my God. Maybe maybe we'll have you for our WandaVision oh, my gosh. slash American the Winter Soldier slash Loki yes. episode. Yes, I'm very excited for Loki, which is in like what a week or two. Yeah, they keep I think changing so, yeah. the day. I don't know. I'll see when it's on Disney Plus. They have to trick us because Loki is, is the trickster god. Mm-hmm. They said that, but also they had to change it because they didn't realize it overlapped with Star Wars and they didn't want two shows battling for the Fridays. Oh, is that one? Okay. But that used, is just poor planning on well, their part. They're, they're saying it's because of Loki being the time thing, which is a great excuse for the mistake that their team made. Oh, that is mm-hmm. clever. That is clever. I was wondering why the date changed. I noticed that. Thank you so much for joining us, Heather. Please come back anytime. Bring us more advice as you bring it in. And like, we're going to have so many more questions for you as no. we keep t- taking steps, strides, falls, leaps all of those yes and take them all like embrace them and just don't put too much pressure on yourself when you do fall and you'll 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 get back up and you'll learn how to keep doing it 
over and over. Take it from someone who has fallen many, many times and keeps getting back up. You can do it. Be Have grace for yourself. And I wish us all a very successful 2021 and 2022 dating life. Oh my gosh. You know, here, here. please <laughs> let's all, let's just speak into existence right now that we can have some, all of us can find some success with worthy men. I will have a 2021 outside lands date who will not leave me in the crowd. Oh, what? Okay. Yes. <laughs> That's October. Yeah. I have some time there. That's good. Good job, sweetie. <laughs> okay. We'll revisit that. <laughs> we'll definitely have to have a follow yeah. up on that. <laughs> and on that note, Thank you for listening to this episode of In Omnia Paratus. Join us next week. Grab your coffee bowl and don't forget to rate, download, and follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, where you lead will follow. So head on over to at InOmniaPod on Instagram and let us know what you want to hear about in the comments. Bye!